Hey everyone, I believe that gratitude has been such an instrumental part of making my own recovery and life better that I want to create something called the Gratitude Zone. And what this is, is I would love for you, the listener, to send me a two to three minute audio clip letting me know who you are, what it is you do, what you're grateful for, and why. And then we're going to be posting it on future episodes of The Road Beyond Recovery. Feel free to send that to Tamar at theroadforward.ca and there will be more information in the show notes. When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. My name is Tamar, and I'm going to be your host for this adventure. And today I'm grateful for having Ryan from Touched by Addiction on the show because we got to dig into his faith right and his beliefs and i really love how you know coming into recovery for myself personally allowed me to you know basically reinstate that belief in a higher power right because i was really resistant to that when i came in because i thought if there's a god why is that god not you know has why did why did that god make me go through what I did you know where was he when I needed help and you know I talk about this on some of the shows the reality is I'm alive I'm here and there's a lot of situations when I look back on now that I think wow I can't believe I'm alive right I think my mother said that to me after she read my first book Hope Elevated that she was just grateful that I was alive um, even though you know she obviously wanted to discipline me for not knowing everything but that's a whole other story. So today we are chatting with Ryan from Touched by Addiction. And this week has just been incredible stories on how the team has overcome addiction, you know, sharing their stories, how they found treatment, and what their recovery is like now. And there seems to be this common theme of them all building a life beyond recovery, right? Them going through building their foundation and then not only staying there but doing something more because all of them believe that what they went through was an experience that they can use to help others and Ryan is no different so today he shares his story of you know he got started really young and he also got into recovery very young which is absolutely incredible and now he's He's, you know, studying to become a pastor and it just, he has a, he has a great story. So I can't wait for you to hear it. But again, uh, you can help support them. You know, Ryan said, Hey, send prayers, right? If you have no money to donate, send some prayers, or you can head on over to their website, www.touchedbyaddiction.com. And they have ways to donate. You can buy hoodies, um, hats, t-shirts, and all the money donated goes to putting somebody into 
long-term treatment. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And we are back. And today I am hanging out with Ryan from Touched by Addiction. How are you, Ryan? I'm good. I'm good. It's so nice to finally meet you and be able to do this with you. I've been looking forward to this all week. I'm super pumped. (laughs) I'm excited too, because you guys have incredible stories. And of course, you guys are doing some amazing things. And we had a, a quick chat before we came on here about what a gift it is to be in recovery and to be able to do these things beyond our recovery. So why don't you start off, you know, I always like to dig into what was li- uh, life like before, because it's everybody has a different story of how they what led to their addiction. So what was it like for you growing up? And you know, what was that moment that led to the start of your addiction? My, my childhood was good. Um, right now, I'm 21 years old. So I'm fairly, fairly young compared to many people I find myself in these recovery circles with, um, uh, I'm getting married next June and, and all of my groomsmen are age 35 to 40, you know, that's who my friends are now. So I'm the young kid in these circles. So, uh, my childhood was for the most part, I'd say it was good. And I was raised by loving Christian parents in a positive environment. Um, the only sort of negative aspect I would say to my childhood is that, that we did not have a lot of money growing up. My dad had um, taken this job where he worked in a ministry that didn't pay him and, and left him to fundraise his own salary. And there wasn't a lot of money growing growing up around the house. And I, I kind of started building this resentment towards God that, you know, hey, God, look, like my dad's doing all this stuff for you. My family's doing all this stuff for you. They're trying to be good Christians and, and you can't even so much as, as take care of us. And this led me to a sort of mistrust of, of God. And it, it led to a, a sort of resentment against anybody who was an authority figure above me. So growing up in school, I, I was a troublemaker. I was, I spent myself outside, or I found myself spending more time outside of the classroom, getting in trouble than actually inside the classroom and learning. And it negatively affected me growing up. So the by the point I was in high school, I already had this kind of uh, perception of myself that that I was a troublemaker, that I was rambunctious. And this led me to quickly fall in with the wrong people. And so around the age of 14, I started using drugs and, and I was surrounded by negative influences in, in my family, my family circle, my, my extended family. I had some negative influences there. And this led me to quickly descend into... Um, a much more pronounced drug use than would be typical of a, of a high school student. Most of my friends would be, you know, smoking weed or drinking on the weekends. And I would be, um, you know, doing Xanax with fentanyl before class every day and um, shooting hydromorphone with, with, with my family members and um, stuff like that. Right. And so just this kind of combination of influences led me to quickly descend down a dark, dark path, right? And and this led to so many different consequences and negative ramifications that, that were quickly played out in my day-to-day life. And soon I found myself drowning. I found myself addicted to, to Coke. I was doing Coke almost every day. Um, before school, during school, after school, all night long, I wasn't sleeping. I was, I was simply living to get high. And I was living high. I would, there was never a moment where I was sober throughout that entire sort of you know year and a half, two years where my addiction was 
was really very bad. Um, I started selling drugs. I started selling drugs to my classmates, to, to my friends and uh, my peers and whatnot. And, and my mental health quickly and rapidly deteriorated and regressed to a very bad place. I was spending almost every weekend in the psych ward of the hospital. I was in and out of handcuffs. I was on, I think at one point I was on six different medications for six different diagnoses. Um, now by the grace of God, I take no medication and I function as a mostly normal, according to, to some people. Some people might say I'm, I'm not too normal, but um, I function as a mostly normal human being by the grace of God. And so, yeah, I guess I kind of went into what my life was like in addiction, but uh, yeah, there's a brief snapshot of what my life was kind of like. Wow. So, you know, growing up in a Christian family, and I think a lot, I hear a lot of people in recovery talk about that resentment towards God, right? Things start to go wrong and it's like, why are you doing this to us? Right. And so you, you know, obviously experienced something similar, but what did your parents say or do? Did they try to help you throughout your addiction or did they know? Yeah, my parents definitely, um, they tried to help as best they could. And I wouldn't be sitting here today talking to you if it wasn't for my parents. And after I graduated high school and I was 18 years old, they gave me an ultimatum. They essentially said, hey, you're either going to get help and try to get better or you're not going to be you're not allowed to live here. You're not allowed to be a part of this family, right? Essentially is what is what the conversation was. Wow. And it, I mean, it's, you know, congratulations to you. And obviously, by the grace of God that you're here as young as you are, because I often look at people, you know, at meetings in the rooms of recovery, and especially people are coming in younger and younger. And I just think, wow, that's incredible. Because if everybody could get this, you know, I was 36 before I decided to, you know, end my professional drinking career. And I finally had dug my bottom to a point where I never, you know, I thought, okay, this is it, but congratulations. So, you know, when did you know that you were done, that you needed help? And what did early recovery look like for you? Well, I would say, um, after my parents gave me that ultimatum, I entered the treatment program that I spent ultimately 16 years, 16 months at, not 16 years at. Um, but I entered that program and I entered it with this idea that I was going to do the program and I was going to get out and I was going to not use drugs, but I would sell drugs and I would make a bunch of money. So I went into recovery, uh, kind of forced into it almost in a way and not wanting to do it. And that reflected in my early recovery. If you ask um, people who I was in treatment with, they would say, I like, there's one guy who said, you have a one in a million chance of, of ever making it sober and getting in recovery and staying there. Um, I, I was causing so much problems. The rehab facility that I went to was, was quite stringent in its rules. It was very, very strict, almost militant like in its discipline. And, um, I'm not sure if any of the other guys have, have touched on that. There is some pretty strict rules, but um, one of them, for example, I'll give you an example, was no swearing. And you had to make your bed every day by, I think it was like 6, 6.15 or 6.30 or it was something like that. And the first few days I was there, I was, you know, um, a teenager and I had this typical teenager attitude of, you know, um, confrontation against anybody in an authoritative position. And one of the... The workers there had said, Ryan, you need to make your bed. And I had unleashed the stream of explicitives on him. And um, 
yeah, I was, I got in big trouble for that one. And there was just, I was constantly in trouble. I could not control my emotions. I couldn't, um, I couldn't function like a normal human being. I couldn't deal with any sort of adversity without, um, reacting harshly and lashing out towards people because, um, you know, I had been wounded so many times that as a defense mechanism, I learned to lash out against anybody who I felt posed a threat um, in any way. And I had to learn to rewire my brain by the grace of God, by by exploring his word and learning more of the things of, of God. And that's ultimately what led to, to me being able to do this 180 and become a whole different person. I, I meet people now and I just want to like say like, Hey, I'm normal now. Like, you don't, you have no idea what it was like for me before I get so excited. And they're like, well, congratulations. You're a normal human being. And I said, no, you don't understand how much of an accomplishment this was for me. Um, those the other guys who, who you may have talked to uh, Adam and Carmine and all those guys, like they could tell you stories about me and about how much of a troublemaker I was. And nobody thought I was going to make it. I didn't even think I was going to make it in recovery. I didn't want to be there. And they actually asked me to leave the rehab program I was in because I was causing so much trouble. And for some reason in that moment, something shifted and I thought, great. Well, I just like, I pissed away the last opportunity that I had to get help. And I was so mad at myself and I basically got down on my knees and I begged them. I begged them. I said, please let me stay, please, please, please. And I look back on that moment and I see the leadership of the program I was in and I see the grace of God and the love and the mercy of God reflected through their decisions and say, Hey, you don't deserve another chance, but I'm willing to let you have another chance. Right. And that blew my mind. That was one of the first expressions of demonstrated Christian love that I had ever seen or witnessed. And it's like something changed that day because You know, I started reading my Bible. I started doing this and that, and I started improving and I started making an effort. And as soon as I put in an effort, things started changing, right? As soon as, you know, it was difficult. Don't get me wrong. I don't mean to say like, I just changed like this. It was so difficult, but I started devouring the Bible and just like reading it at every time that I could. It was so weird. Like before I went to the program, I couldn't read. Uh, I think after six months, I was reading theology textbooks and this and that and like, you know, learning about hermeneutics and stuff. And there was guys who were 50 years old coming and asking me, Hey, what does this verse mean? What is this? When the Bible says this, what does it mean? And I would be able to explain it to them. And it's funny, this semester I'm I'm taking theology. I'm a theology student. As we talked about, I'm studying to become a pastor and I got a textbook for my course. I had bought one and I was looking at it and I said, Hey, this stuff sounds familiar. I think I've read this before. And I went home and I had a hockey bag full of books that I had borrowed from the treatment center that I was at. And I looked and sure enough, that book was there. And I had read that book when I was in treatment, nobody required it of me, but it, I just decided to read it. And I was reading a college level theology textbook. And I, it's crazy to think about how I said before I was on six different medications for all sorts of different things. You name it. They thought I had it with, if it had to do with mental health, And all of a sudden here I was six months later, I was, you know, starting to function as a normal human being and I was reading books and I was learning and I was doing all these great things. And it's, 
all to the glory of God that I say this because I could not have done this by myself. There is no way that I could have changed myself. This is completely and 100% an act of God in my life that I'm sitting here today and talking to you. And that's why I get fired up when I do these things. It's like, you know, who would have thought like God is so good that he brought us together to be able to do this. Like in what world other than a God centered, God run world, would me and you be connecting on opposite ends of the country, right? We are from two completely different worlds. And yet here we are talking and finding common ground. And I find, I think that's so beautiful. And it is such a gift. You know, Adam and I were talking about that too. It's just the fact that, you know, this time of year can be lonely for a lot of people. And a lot of people struggle because either they're going through that transition or they've just, you know, there's so many things uh, that involves addiction and recovery that we feel alone. But the reality is, is we're never alone because A, right, we all have, you know, whatever program you go through, usually there's always an emphasis on a spiritual program, getting to know your higher power, God, whatever that looks like for you. But then we have people all over the world that we can talk to at any time if we're feeling lonely and pick up the phone. And we've got all of this stuff in common. Like you and I have not met until today. Neither did I met Adam. I've talked to Bowden a few times. Um, but it's so cool that we have this fellowship already and we have so much in common. And I think that's one of the many, many gifts of recovery. And obviously you share that with the guys from Touched by Addiction. So how did you get involved with Touched by Addiction? Uh, so that's an awesome segue because um, speaking of talking to each other on the phone, like we have this meeting on Thursday nights that we run and it's, it's a Zoom meeting and it's not necessarily a recovery meeting or a faith meeting or anything. Everybody's welcome. And we all just kind of talk about our weeks and, and we be there for each other. And Adam had started that and eventually it kind of integrated with Touch by Addiction. And we developed this goal of um, being able to be a support system for somebody all the way from the point of when they choose to seek help to after they exit treatment and are in recovery. We wanted to be there to be a support system through the whole journey. So Adam and Bowden got together and they integrated. Bowden had the sweatshirts and, and the sweatshirts right here and uh, the hats and whatnot. And Adam had this Thursday night meeting. So they had integrated it. And I had said, hey, like, I want to be a part of this in some way. What can I do? And I didn't even ask them. So I started filming YouTube videos. I started filming podcasts like these where I would interview people and hear their testimonies and talk with them. And Bodan one day called me and he said, hey, like, why aren't you part of our leadership team? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, you're doing all this stuff for us, but you aren't a part of it really, like officially. So I joined on paper and I function as the director of social media and pastoral care. So I... You know, I, I do, uh, I make content, I make all the posts that we that we have, and I, I try to do some some video teachings, and um, yeah, just if something's on my heart, then, then you know, I make a quick video and I share it and stuff, and um, I think that, like you said before, this time of year is difficult for so many people. I think um, it has to do, of course, with the holidays too, but here in Canada, the weather changing, the days are so short. And it's just, it's a tough time of year. And I've been finding myself, you know, looking at that. Like I work in retail, I'm a butcher. And I've noticed people get like, they're getting angrier and angrier and they're shorter and shorter, right? And I think it's important to remember that it's great that we have one another and we, we should lean on these support systems that God gave us. But Christmas is all about 
God becoming flesh and God going through the human experience, right? So better than calling a friend is we can, you know, call our friend in the sky, you know, so to speak. And um, we, we can go to him with these issues that we have. And, and the fact that he became flesh and, and dwelt among humanity is amazing because he went through so many of the same struggles that we went through. Right. So I'm not when we're praying, we aren't approaching an unrelatable foreign God who is alien to the human experience. But we are we are approaching a God who is not only present within creation, but also came and experienced what it means to be a human. And that is so profound and so amazing. And it, it gives me so much hope and encouragement that I, especially right now, as we go through covid and all this stuff, like people are weary and here is Christmas, and it is a reason to rejoice and to rejoice every day that God is with us. Absolutely. And it's interesting because, of course, as I went through my transition of, you know, that lack of faith to finding my faith again, I just remember, you know, people telling me, just wait, you're going to get these God shots. And I remember in early sobriety, this still makes me laugh. Um, you know, my sponsor had texted me one night and said, uh, you know, can you, you know, think about what humility means to you and what it means in your recovery. And I right away got offended because I thought, well, I'm the humblest person I know. Well, clearly when you're humble, you don't have to say that, first of all. But then, of course, you know, I was going to church at the time and I went to a service and, you know, after talking to a friend of mine in recovery that I said, I can't believe she said this, right? So we Googled the word humility and all that. So I walked into the service on Sunday night and humility was the topic. It was right on and I was laughing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool because I find that the more that I've leaned into my faith, the more that I lean into God, um, that obviously my needs are always met. There's, I've gone through things and they've been lessons. And I, I find that, you know, God also has a very good sense of humor and continues to put things in our path until we learn. <laughs> so sometimes I have things put there several times, but whenever I honestly pray, I always talk to somebody that says something where I'm thinking, wow, like, I can't believe that. Like God spoken through that person is giving me this message that I need to hear. And it gives me goosebumps as I talk about it, because I think that some people really have a hard time with the whole God thing when they come into recovery. And so I believe that it has been key to my recovery, having that spiritual connection and having faith and understanding that no matter what I go through, my needs will all be always, always be met. And so I'm assuming for you, it's the same. Yeah. And I like what you had said there about um, it's difficult for some people to, to sort of wrap their head around this idea of God. And it was like that for me too. I think the first thing I ever prayed when I got into recovery was God, if you're real, you got to prove it to me as if God owed me something. And I look back and I, I think, wow, right. You were, why did you pray that? But he delivered, and I saw him working in so many different ways, and most notably in, in my own life, right? And to be able to see this complete 180 shift, is it's been incredible. And like I said, I couldn't do it by myself. Um, I tried to quit doing drugs how many times? I tried to get my life together so many times, and it didn't work until I started reading this book, the Bible. And it's crazy to, to, to wrap your head around how Christians believe that we should base our entire lives on a book, right? And it, it it seems nuts to think about, but we believe it's the inspired 
word of God and that is God speaking to us and that is alive and that is breathing. And um, it, it, it can be defended by logic and reasoning. And I find that so amazing. And as I learn more and more about these things, I, I just, I, I've, I'm so grateful to God that he blessed me with faith and that he chose to, to save me and to, to lift me out of the muck and mire and set my feet on a rock and give me a new song to sing. One that I, I sing in, in moments like these of hope and beauty and, you know, excitement and i i just am i'm so grateful and i i love this life that god has blessed me with and it's not always easy right um yeah but my problems get they always get put in perspective um for example i was i was um i was upset because not upset but i was overwhelmed because my room was a mess and i have three thousand things to do for school and i was just so overwhelmed and i sat there and i think my room is a mess. The room that I have in a house that I pay for with my own money, with a job that I've been blessed enough to have is a mess with dishes that I was blessed with enough money to buy and food that I was given that filled my stomach and now has made a mess. Like I am so blessed, even though life seems overwhelming and life is so hard. Right. And I think that if we just focus on these things that you know, there's so much reason to rejoice and be grateful and be thankful to God for. Then our lives, our focus shifts, right? Because there was times when I didn't have anything to eat. And now, you know, I, I got a, I got a filet mignon steak for me and my fiance. I got some steaks. I spent like 40 bucks on steaks. I was like, who does this? Like, seriously, I'm, I'm not rich by any means, but, you know, I'm just like, and I get excited. I bought a car for the first time this year and I, I took my, my shoes that my girlfriend out for a drive and I was like revving the engine and I was like laughing so hard. And I was like, I never thought I would be lucky enough. And it's not like God just blesses us with physical things too, but he blesses us. I think the most important blessing that I've received is peace is when we, when we know that our eternity is secure in the blood of Jesus Christ, when we know where we're going, when we die, that brings us so much peace in so many different things because the absolute worst thing that could happen to me is that I die. Okay. There's some extreme stuff that, you know, we could get into that. Oh, wouldn't this be worse than dying? But like one of the main things that is, you know, the worst thing that could happen is that you die. But if you know that you will never truly experience death, death being separation from God, then there's nothing else left to be afraid of in a way. Right. Um, you know, and I just find that I find that so comforting. And I think that is the greatest blessing that I've been given because I spent so long with so much anxieties and so much worries about so many different things. And now it's just like, whatever happens, happens. And I'm good with it. God's in control. That's such a good place to be. And, you know, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story because I believe that, and I hear it more and more that people are starting to recover out loud. You know, I know that when I first came in, I had a, a job, right? A corporate job. And I was fairly functioning towards the end. And I had much darker times early on in my addiction where I got into the harder drugs. But I was scared to say things out loud, right? Because I was always afraid of how it would be perceived. Because whether we like it or not, there is 
a stigma around addiction and a lot of people don't take the time to understand it. So, you know, how do you feel about, because today, obviously I have this podcast, so I'm not scared to recover out loud, but more and more people are starting to talk about it, to talk about their experience. You know, what is your view on that? Well, obviously I think, you know, stigma is, is a bad thing, no matter what way you look at it. Right. Um, but I do, I don't know. I don't, I don't mind, like, I don't mind, um, being labeled as, as, you know, sort of the outcast or less than or whatever. Like, I love it because it sets me up. Like, I love this idea of a comeback story. Like, who doesn't love a good comeback story? Like, I love boxing and to watch one of my favorite boxers, uh, Tyson Fury, get knocked down and then get back up and proceed to win the match is, is crazy and it's awesome and it's what you love, right? And I love that idea that everybody counted at me out. I counted myself out. And yet here I am today, I'm still fighting and, you know, I'm going to make it, I'm going to do as much as God will let me with my life while I'm still breathing. And I don't know, I, I refuse to be silent about my addiction. I refuse to be silent about my struggles. Um, but I also, I also won't let it define me. That's one of the things that I have tried so hard to overcome is transcend, transcending the sort of label that people may have, like perhaps people who know me more intimately or closely, they may say, oh, that's Ryan. You know, he has this really great story about uh, overcoming addiction. But it's like, there's so much more to me. I am not just, you know, a former addict. Uh, and that's been one of the the main struggles that I think I've had in, in this sort of later stages of recovery is how do I transcend this label? How do I, you know, become something other than that, because I think that's one of the things that especially within the Christian recovery circle that we tend to do is we tend to, you know, um, we tend to label people as, as you know, and, and I have had this so many times, right? Uh, can you come to this place and share your testimony with these high school students? Can you come to this place and share a testimony with these people? It's like, you know, I'm studying in Bible college to be a pastor. Like, why don't you come and ask me to talk about uh, a Bible verse or, you know, a topic or something, right? And to try to sort of break this mold that I've been, you know, experiencing has been one of the greatest challenges and I'm still trying to overcome it, right? And I think that has to do with, with what we talk about too, because I've seen it, I've seen it go the other way uh, too, where people, they let their addiction define who they are. And you know, it's just like, this is who I am. Like, this is every time we're hanging out, I'm going to tell you stories about this time I did meth. And like, you know, it's like, no, like, so I think it goes both ways, but I think stigma is a bad thing. So that's my long question. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And it, I mean, you know, I, I'm coming across it more and more from the people that I chat with and interview on the show is that the reality is, is we're go-getters, right? We are very resilient. We're very re resourceful. I mean, you know, if you listen to somebody who's in recovery say, ah, I don't think I can do that. It's like, well, you know, back in the day, if, you know, you didn't have any drugs or alcohol, would you have taken no as an answer? And chances are, they'd be like, no, there's no chance. You know, you wouldn't be saying, oh, okay, I can't like get loaded tonight. That's okay. I'll just wait till I have money again. I'll save up for it. Like that just didn't happen. And so I think that's almost a gift for us, even though, you know, it didn't start off as a very positive one, but I look at it like, I always thought that my addiction would follow me around in a negative way until I realized 
that that's actually how I found my purpose, right? I could help other people. I could be other people centered and I could look at my past as a gift that I could use to help people overcome the same challenges that I've had and not only overcome those challenges, but create a life so good for themselves that they never want to go back to their old way of living. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And just as you were talking, there's a a verse in the Bible that says God's strength is perfected in our weakness. And I love this idea of, Hey, like, you know, three years ago, these were all my weakest areas. Now there's some of my strongest, right? And and just as like you said, like we're go-getters, we're hustlers. Like, you know what I mean? Like, look at look at these things that we we do through through the grace of God, right? And that He enables us to do. And I love it. I I I work full time, I go to school full time, I do touch by addiction, I do youth ministry. Like I don't, I'm a I'm a hustler, like I'm building myself a life that I I dreamed of. I want that white picket fence and the barbecue and the little league with all the kids and all this stuff, right? And I want to have a family, and of course, uh, not just watch other kids play little league. I didn't mean that. I meant have a family of my own and go to little league um, and all this stuff, right? And I refuse to settle for anything less than that. I refuse to quit until I make it. And if there's one thing that I know from recovery is that by God's power, if it's his will, it will get done, right? Like I never thought I would be here. I keep saying that. And I never, I never thought. And yet here I am is by the grace of God, but it required a heck of a lot of hard work. And I'm, I'm so close to my dreams and I, I get these massive bags under my eyes. I start work at 5 a.m. And some days I don't get back from class till 10 p.m. on Mondays or 9.30. And I, I take pride in having these big bags under my eyes when I go to sleep because I says everyone else in my school, everyone else at my work, they're asleep. I'm already at work and I'm already grinding. You know, I'm going to the gym. I'm doing these things. Since I came out of recovery, I lost like 70 pounds, right? And it's like I would go to the gym super, super early in the morning and I would – I would like relish this feeling of everybody else in the world is sleeping and I'm getting better. Right. And I love that. I don't know why I love that. And I still do is, you know, you can, you can be over there, you can have your comfortable life, but I'm going to be over here. I'm going to be getting uncomfortable and I'm going to be getting better because there's no growth in comfort and we have to make ourselves uncomfortable. Right. Oh, I love that. And it's interesting because I actually quit my corporate job in March to become a full-time entrepreneur and really almost help with that relapse prevention, right? Helping people discover their purpose and changing, like rewiring their brain. And, you know, I never thought that I'd ever be doing this. And I took that leap of faith. I'm like, okay, God, let's do this. Right. And it was scary at first. And there's been some months where I'm like, ooh but it's all worked out. Right. And I get to have these absolutely amazing conversations, but I continue to see other people do the same. And it's so incredibly inspiring. I just absolutely love it. So if people want to help donate or get in touch with you guys, how can they find you? Uh, Well, first of all, we appreciate most of all prayers because we know that nothing is possible without God's blessing upon us. And we, as a ministry and as a company remain fully submitted to the sovereign lordship of Jesus. And uh, it's by him and through him that all things are done. So prayers um, are much appreciated. They are um, perhaps more important than donations, whatever, like just please pray. 
uh, for us first and foremost. And second of all, the website's been running across the bottom the whole the whole interview. So if you haven't hopped on and you haven't checked it out, go check it out. We got some actually like some dope merchandise. Like I I mean I know that I kind of work for the company, so I gotta say this, but I would rock this even even if I wasn't working. It's like black and red. It's pretty sick. And you know I like fashion. I like nice clothes. I don't wear no like walmart like i wear walmart stuff like don't get me wrong but like i don't wear no bummy clothes i wear like nice clothes and i take pride in in my clothes and i think a lot of us in addiction take pride took pride in in what we wore like you know you gotta have jays you gotta have uh all this and all that but there's they're they're pretty sick looking is what i'm trying to say so yeah head on over and grab a sweater we always say grab some gear change a life all the money from the sweaters, the hats, and the clothing items goes directly to placing someone into life-saving treatment that they need. Um, and especially as we were talking about Christmas is coming up, right? And I, I, I had made a video a little while ago that along the lines of like, we don't, we get, we ask for things or we receive things for Christmas that we may not want and we may not use. Um, and the great thing about these sweaters and hats and merchandise is that even if you never wear this, even if it sits in your closet, it's still changing someone's life, right? So if you're making a Christmas list or you're thinking to buy something for your loved ones, we've all been touched by addiction. If you've walked down the street and, and seen someone, you know, who's suffering from addiction, you've been touched by addiction, right? So there's no excuse. We've all seen it. We, we all know what's going on in our country and in our nation, right? The opioid epidemic is completely destroying our nation and it's heartbreaking, Right. So why don't we all fight together? Why don't we, you know, try to change this thing? I'll do our part. Head on over, grab a sweater. Feel free to hit the donate button if you've already got some gear. But yeah, that's how you can get in touch with us. Oh, one more thing. And if you do need support, if you do want to come to our Zoom meetings, uh, we run them every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Uh, head on over to Facebook. Give us a like. It gets posted on Facebook every week. And yeah, um, please feel free to like and follow and all that stuff on our social media. So you might see my face more often. Who knows if that's a positive <laughs> or a negative, but. Definitely a positive, Ryan. And thank you so much for being on the show. And, you know, I look forward to everything that the future holds. I mean, I've been working closely with Bowdoin lately. And again, I just love what you guys are doing. And like you said, prayers, that's easy. That's super easy to give, even if you have no money this holiday season you know, send some prayers because they always work. So thank you so much, Ryan, for taking the time to be on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. So great to catch up with the team from Touched by Addiction and meet these guys. Like I said, you know, um, meeting these guys for the first time really uh, this past week has been absolutely incredible. And you already have that connection as a result of that fellowship. So going into the holiday season, you know, just knowing that there are people there to support you. And again, if you want to join the movement, you can head on over to www.touchedbyaddiction.com and donate to helping somebody get into treatment and being able to change their lives, just like the team from Touched by Addiction. Guys, I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. Did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, 
Anything is possible, it just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you wanna learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.